Praise the Lord. Uh, God has given me a message this morning, and I just want to share it with you. I'm excited about this message. And, but uh, I, I just want to share some things. Understand uh, that we live in a town that probably is probably the furthest from serving God as you can possibly get in the city of Key West. So I think it's remarkable, uh, remarkable in the demonic and stronghold depression that we have in our city for God to dump his, pour out his anointing. It just shows you how much more powerful God is than what the devil. He cannot drown out God. No matter where you live or what, he cannot drown him out. He, will not, he cannot silence him. Praise the Lord. Although Satan has tried, he cannot silence him. Amen. But uh, if, you look in, if you look in the scriptures where Jesus was tempted of the devil, uh, uh, and, and he was tempted not in his deity, but in his humanity. See, if he tempted in his deity, he would just say one word, and the devil would be gone, that'd be it. But no, he was tempted on purpose in his humanity to show us how it's done. I, that's how I see it. I see it, it's showing us how it's done. And every temptation that came against Jesus failed because Jesus was able to stand against it. And what he did came against him was with God's word. But I noticed something in that story. Satan also used God's word. But he took it out of context, and he twisted it for his for his benefit, Satan's benefit. And God came across it and Jesus came across it. Right up until the last temptation where he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdom. And that's when he said, get you behind me, Satan. Isn't it amazing? He said, get behind me. If I have a snake, I want to keep my eye on him in front of me, not behind me. But he said, no, get you behind me. At that point, when Satan took a back seat, so to speak, or took the back part of Christ, he knew he was defeated. There's, there's no, and what did Satan do? He had to do exactly what Jesus commanded, which made Jesus the commander uh, of even the temptations and the strongholds. So we make a big deal out of, out of sometimes where we live and how, uh, uh, how this worldly this place is and how hard it is on a small two-by-four island that we live on, you know, in the southernmost city in, in the United States. But the fact is, is God is bigger than our island. God is bigger than we are. God is bigger than the devil's kingdom. And this is what we have to focus on, focus on what God has given us to do. We're here for a purpose. We're not here. I wasn't hired to come here. I'm not fulfilling a job. I was, I was called to come here by God 30 years ago. And he says, dig in. He says, for the long haul. And that's what we have done. Praise the Lord. And we've seen things happen because Key West is very transient. See people move in, people move out. The church fills up. The church empties out. And that has driven a lot of pastors nuts, <laughs> telling you the truth, over the years. And I've watched a lot of them just give up and quit because of that. But the fact is we have to look past what we see in the exterior. That's what I want to talk about this morning. You have to look past what you see right before you right now. You have to see beyond that. And this is where a lot of people are defeated because Satan takes away their vision. So the, message, the title of my message this morning is Faith Revived, Vision Revealed. Faith Revived, Vision Revealed. Fear will rob you of your vision. Okay? Depression will rob you of your vision, the vision that God has given you. Well, what is this thing called vision? Well, I'll talk about it a little bit this morning. I'm not going to have a, uh, time to get into great detail, but I'm going to give you enough knowledge this morning about your vision that you can go find one. Okay? So... Uh, I, I jotted two things down in my notes, and um, here's, a, here's a common phrase everybody see. Well, seeing is believing. When I see it, then I believe it. How many has ever taken that stance? Don't raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question. But how many, how many has taken that stance? Well, yeah, I know. Well, I see, that's not what I see. I, I see it, I'll believe it. 
How many know that the scriptures and by faith, God calls us to do the opposite? Believe it, then you'll see it. Believing brings it into, into fruition when we believe on Christ and we stand on the promises that he has given us. When we stand on those things, we have to first believe and then it comes to pass. How many know Jesus Christ died for the entire world, for the salvation of the entire world? Let me ask you this. Is the whole world saved? What's the difference to the people who are saved and people who aren't saved? They took advantage and they received what God said even before they've seen it. Has anybody been to heaven and seen heaven? But that's where you're going to go when you die, right? How many here are going to go to heaven when they die? How many want to go to hell? Why in the hell would you want to go to hell? <laughs> what is in hell that you want to go? I mean, nobody would say, I'm just kidding. But the fact is, 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 no, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Yeah. Amen. How many, what fool would say they want to go to hell? And that would be a fool, praise the Lord. But how many know we, have to, we haven't seen it, heaven that is, or hell for that matter. We haven't seen, I mean, Key West is closed, but we haven't seen hell. We haven't seen heaven. But the fact is, you know you're going to go there. That's the same analogy for your salvation that's applied to everything by faith. You know that. There's a, there's a principle there that I want to bring out this morning and show you. So faith, uh, faith revived. Revive your faith. Rekindle your faith, whatever it takes. And then your vision will be revealed. Amen. It says, so uh, and here's another thing. I, 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 I've jotted down some, some things that I, I, I um, got in prayer, some things I knew, some things that I, This is a quote. Uh, this is a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Now, that's a little bit before our time. <laughs> but Theodore Roosevelt said this. He said, he said, um, he said believe, believe you can. This is what he said. Believe you can, and you are halfway there. Believe you can. How many know we got a bunch of beliefs and can'ts? Well, I don't know. I tried that once. That, that didn't work out so good. I, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can, I can do And we, we, we hear ourselves speak a lot of times of what we can't do, and we forget about what we can do. Amen? How many can remember back to the time they first were born again? Somebody witnessed you for the first time or however you maybe got saved in church. Me, it was on the job site. I worked construction, and uh, it was on a job site, and, and my working partner uh, who was working with me, it was a big job. We, had, uh, we busted up in teams and partners and stuff like that to, to get a job done, and he witnessed Christ. I grew up in church all my life, okay? You know, I, I come from New York, and New York uh, basically uh, – is even as a school kid, me going to grade school, you were, you were judged and categorized by the church you went to. Well, I, I was, let me put it this way. Uh, we had about uh, six or eight Catholic churches, I think, in our town, uh, and one Lutheran church. Uh, I went to the Lutheran church. So you can imagine as a kid, uh, it became an issue. Uh, so so you, you talk about persecution. Uh, I didn't even know anything about the Bible, but was persecuted because the church I went into. Even as a kid, I remember coming home. I was in first grade. I come home, and I don't know what I was thinking about. I was, I was just praying about this, just thinking. God brought it to my memory. I came home. I was in first grade, and I come home. On, I used to ride a school bus. I lived in the country, and uh, the school was in the city. And I come home on a school bus, and I come home crying. I said, "What's the matter with you?" I says, "I says there was a guy on the bus, and he told me because I'm not Catholic, I'm going to go to hell." And and uh, and my mom sent me down and talked to me about the uh, about about Christ. So I was I felt better because mom mom knew I was mom wasn't gonna let me go to hell. <laughs> now there's been a bunch of people in my life that told me to go there, but <laughs> but mom wasn't gonna let me go to hell. And I remember as as a kid just in first grade, I mean I, I felt better. I went back I went back to school with a new attitude. So my mom said I'm not. I don't care what you said. I, my mom has more authority than, your, than what you got. I'm going to believe that. I mean, no, through life we have choices of beliefs. 
and what we're going to believe. And God wants it that way. He don't want you to be forced into him. He wants you to choose him. But when you do, choose it to the ultimate. Choose it to the, to the max and make him part of your life to the max. Don't just visit God on Sunday morning in his house. That doesn't impress him. What you're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day is going to make all the difference. Let me get into the message this morning. Praise the Lord. Uh, um, I, I like this. This is a, a statement I heard somebody say one time. God never has you do what, you, what he needs you to do. He has you do what he wants you to do. Understand something. God is a deity. He has no lack or deficiency. He has no needs. We have needs. He doesn't have needs. So God doesn't tell you to do something because he needs you to do that. He tells you to do something because he wants you to do that. Big difference. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, I, I like this other statement. There's one more statement and we'll get to the scripture this morning. But it says, it says, don't regulate your enthusiasm. I heard another preacher say this. I jotted it down. So I plagiarized this. I'll let you know beforehand. I plagiarized this. This isn't mine. But anyway, I said, don't regulate your enthusiasm by your surroundings. I like that. Don't regulate your enthusiasm by your surroundings. Let me talk to everybody in this church and everybody in Key West. Do not <laughs> regulate your enthusiasm by your surroundings. Are you here this morning? Praise the Lord. So, so we, we tend to do that. Well, when things look good, we tend to be happy. When things don't look so good, we tend not to be happy. But don't, don't let your surroundings regulate your enthusiasm. Keep your enthusiasm high. All right, you ready for the word this morning? Let me get into the scriptures. Uh, I'll give you those little nuggets this morning. You can chew on those if you want to. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Let me start there this morning. Uh, remember the title now. Don't forget the title. Faith revived, vision revealed. And it, Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Hang in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to expand this a little bit for you. He said, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I remember when I first came to Key West, I was bombarded with questions because basically I came to Key West not knowing anybody. I wasn't very familiar with the town whatsoever. Uh, we basically set up a church, and I had a couple of people come for me. I moved down from, from Deerfield Beach. For, well, I lived in Deerfield Beach. I had a church in, in Boynton Beach. Closed that church down and, and moved to Key West on, uh, on the word of God. God told me to do what it did. So I didn't know anybody here. I came into Key West. This is about 1990. About May of 1990, we started a church here. So I started a church, and lo and behold, people started coming to the church and listening to what we were about. Well, after that, people wanted to take me out for breakfast. They wanted to take me out for lunch. Uh, careful when a, a, a Key West conk wants to take you out someplace, and you're a stranger in town. Okay, praise the Lord. Just be careful. Just let you know. Anyway, so they would bombard me with questions to try to find out what I was about. And I kind of got put, put it in my heart that is how you answer the questions is going to go to more than just these people sitting at the table. It's going to go out across the city. This is the, what they call the coconut hotline, and these are the bubbas. <laughs> so basically, so I was drilled. One of the things that I was drilled at was a, was a, was a, a backslidden preacher. He didn't preach anymore. He just uh, acted like he did. Uh, he, he started the ministry, uh, ran, out of, ran out of steam in Key West, ran out of things to say, so he just quit. But they kind of looked at him as a spiritual, uh, uh, as a spiritual guy, I guess. And he came to me, and he says, um, he says, well, what are you, what are you, what's your intentions here? I said, well, we have a vision. I said, we we have it printed out. I said, give him a copy of a vision of our church. This is what we're planning on doing, and we're planning on doing it right here in Cuba. What's this vision stuff? He said, I don't know, what, what's a vision? He said, everybody. I, he said, I don't, I don't see that in the Bible about vision. Well, I, I showed him right here. I said, it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. You just spoke volumes to me about my town about what I'm about to do here. You just spoke volumes. 
Now, let me share something with you, because if you take the word perish, we're not talking about dying and going to hell. Okay, the word perish in the Hebrew, this, let, me, let me give you a couple words. Vision is one of them, but here's what perish means. It, it, now, this is, we get a translation from the English. This is King James I'm reading right now, and it uses the word perish. That's not the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for that we translate perish means this, to expose, to dismiss, or to uncover. What God is saying, without a vision, I'm going to get to vision part in a minute, but without a vision, we're exposed. We're uncovered. In other words, God wants to cover us and shield us in what we happen without a vision or seeing what the next is and getting that vision from God. We expose ourselves. Now, how many know in the heat of a spiritual battle, last thing you want to be is exposed? Paul talks about not exposing us, but covering us. Amen. We have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shows about gospel, and two-edged sword, the sharpened two-edged sword. We, got, we have all our armament our, to do what? To cover us. So how many know perish means to expose? So without a vision, we're exposed or, 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 or vulnerable to every kind of thought, every kind of realm that the devil wants to throw at us. But a vision, a vision from God protects us from that. Now, here's what the word vision means. This is, uh, again, translated from the, from the Hebrew. It means this. It means vision means mental sight, uh, such as a dream uh, or, or revelation. That's something that is revealed to us, okay? That's, that's the ancient Hebrew. Actually, you look this up in the ancient Hebrew uh, as, as it was written. In other words, to say this, this is actually what it means. I got this from another commentary, but this is what it means. The ability to see beyond what is seen in the physical and it, as a light piercing through darkness. Let me say that again. Okay, the ability to see beyond what is seen. The ability to see beyond what is seen. In other words, you're going to see something you can't see. A vision is something you can see, but isn't seen. In other words, not seen with a natural eye, but yet with the eye of faith, it can be seen. And it directs our faith to a position. And God gives us a vision. For instance, I, I, used, I, I shared with the church, the church had a vision. Uh, we had a vision, and we wrote out our vision. And we even wrote out how that vision was going to come to pass because God was giving it to us. You know, it says in Habakkuk, it says, says, write the vision, make it plain. Those that read can run after it there, thereof. So basically, you, you, uh, if, if you're running with a vision, you've got to make it in big print because you're running with a anyway, anyway, praise God. <laughs> Bad joke. Anyway, but, but, so I wrote it out. In other words, here's what Covenant Word Church is for. It's for the restoration of people. It's for the, it's for the expanding of the gospel to many nations. I put it international. It was international. A guy was speaking to me. Do you know from Key West Airport? I've told you before. I've flown to West Africa, South America, Central America, uh, uh, Jamaica, uh, some of the other islands, Peru, uh, Israel, uh, uh, London, England. Uh, preached a couple of times in London, England. Uh, so from right here, from this small little town, small little church in Key West, we've gone out across the nations. That's part of our vision that God has given us. We would need to have an international influence. Okay? So that's our vision. Did we see it at the time I got that? Uh-uh. Matter of fact, I thought because we live in a touristy town, I thought all those nationalities were going to come here on my doorstep. I said, God will just bring it to me. I ain't got to go nowhere. That's what, that was wrong. <laughs> God said, no, he said, you're going you're gonna to have a presence there in those places. He said, it's important to have a presence. He said, do I have a presence in your home? Yes. I said, do, you have a, do I have a, this is God, do I have a presence in your church? Yes. He said, I need your presence in those places too. Amen? Amen. 
I was just looking at their faces. Some of the lights went on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, uh, so, so without a vision, we perish or we're exposed. Uh, and that vision has the ability to, to see what isn't, not just the physical, but to see beyond the physical. Help anybody this morning? I got reading this story. I think about this. And, and, and God showed me something. Now, you've probably heard this, mess, probably heard this scripture read a, a thousand times if you heard it once. Uh, and and if, you've, if you're familiar with the Bible. But turn in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to start with the 14th verse. Let me give you some background in Matthew chapter 14. Matter of fact, this story is in all four Gospels. You'll find it in all four Gospels. The three synoptic Gospels and even John uh, mentions about this. This was a big deal. When you see something that is carried over in all four Gospels, it's a big deal. Okay, it, it had significance that maybe we don't even see it firsthand. But let me go ahead and, and read it. It talks about Jesus. How many remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? And it says in verse 14, it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion. Underline that or jot that down. He was moved with compassion. I want, you, I want to make a point later. Uh, moved in compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. And when evening has come, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place. In other words, he was out in the wilderness. Okay, it was a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into their villages and buy for themselves uh, rituals or food. So here we have the setting of the scene. And how many, how many remember that scripture? I mean, you, you all knew the, knew the story and Jesus sat down and he healed. But he was moved with compassion. Here's the difficult part. And I can relate to some of this stuff myself because how many has ever gone through some real grief? Okay, uh, I've had some real grief just, in, just not too long ago and, and just basically go through some real grief. You lost a loved one or, or, or basically lost several loved ones or whatever, and you go through this time of grief. Here's what the back to the story is that people don't usually start with. But Jesus just got the news that John the Baptist was beheaded. Okay, uh, as a bet, if I can put it that way, at a drunken party, he was beheaded. For, for fun of the Romans, okay, for their drunken party, and he was beheaded. John the Baptist was the forerunner, and he was the one that said in the, in, in, prepare, was preparing Israel for the coming of the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. So there he was. So he hears, he just gets the news that John the Baptist is dead, and basically John had all these followers and uh, that, that you know, were going to have to be taken care of, and Jesus was now kind of like the lone shepherd by himself uh, in, in this task. And now he's, not only that, he grew up with John the Baptist and this, as, a, as a child. Remember the story, Elizabeth was pregnant and at the same time, about the same time Mary was and so on and so forth. And so, so uh, and, and basically John the Baptist was a divine origin because uh, uh, Elizabeth was past age of childbearing, remember that? And so John was kind of an award for, so this is, the story. so he's thinking about this. How many ever thought about this? All of a sudden they get the news that a loved one had died. And it's someone who's close. Do you feel like ministering to people? Do you feel like, I, I don't know how you'd handle it, but I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to be in public. I don't want to do anything. But instead, all, through all that, Jesus turns. Now, Satan clearly stole John's life. Satan clearly had it. It was a drunken Roman party. And the, and the king promises this, this, this young girl, and, and she says, I want the head. I'll give you anything if you dance for me. And she danced. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist because of her demon-possessed mother put the idea in her head. And over that stupid bet, John the Baptist lost his life, and the church at that time lost a great patriarch. 
because of, because of, of, of Roman sinful party. I don't know about you, but if I have God boiling inside of me, that would have been about the last straw. I think right there I would have, I would have gotten fleshly and, and condemned the entire Roman Empire right back to Rome. Amen? But Jesus didn't. This is the thing we have to know because the key to success in the kingdom relies on how we respond the way Jesus would respond. He's grieving. Matter of fact, he went to that wilderness. If you study it out, you went to that wilderness because he was grieving. He wanted to be alone. And when people saw that he was there, they didn't know about John the Baptist. They didn't know about anything. They go following after Jesus. And he looked back and he saw this great multitude of sick people, lame people, people that were blind, people that were half dead, people that needed help. And instead of turning them away for even a moment or a season, he turned and all of a sudden what rose up on the inside of Christ was compassion. And I want you to understand something because that's the same Christ that dwells today. And when he sees us in our hurting time, he, his compassion still rises up, but his compassion just isn't sympathy. There's a difference between sympathy and compassion. Sympathy feels sorry for and regrets for. Compassion does something to change the problem. How do you change death without resurrection? How do you, he's not talking about changing death. He's talking about looking right past the people who had John the Baptist killed and seeing Satan at the root of this thing. Probably ticked off because he didn't like how the temptation went. But anyway, regardless, and he says, I'm going to, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm going to take and I'm going to nail Satan exactly where he needs to be nailed. I'm going to nail him down. I'm going to come against everything he, he's, he's done. So basically, compassion rises up in Christ and miracles begin to happen. Say that. Compassion rises up. Miracles begin to happen and change things. It's a sad state of affairs when church just becomes a place that we come to make ourselves feel good. Because Jesus wasn't looking for himself to feel good. He was looking to change lives and to change other people. Real compassion and love of Christ doesn't look at what I can get out of this thing. It looks at what can I do for somebody else. Oh, come on. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good, as Kenneth Higgins used to say. Huh? Come on. Wake up, church, because this is the, this is the truth that is going to come alive in this hour that we live in. Because what I see God doing, I see him putting a compassion upon his church to even be concerned about others. I saw it real bold and brave during the, during the pandemic that we're going through. And how people have compassion for other people are concerned about them. I see other people who are angry. I see other people who are afraid. So there's all kinds of a range of emotions in how to deal with a pandemic. But the compassion of God is something that seems to escape us when fear enters in. That's how I know it's the work of Satan. When, when fear comes in, Jesus didn't have a fear. He didn't have any grief, and he wasn't allowed to mourn. He didn't have the time. Instead, he looked back, and he looked at all the living souls that needed his help, and compassion fell on him. That's what led it up. That's what led, it, led to, the, to the event. I know we used to listen about the, 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 two, the five loaves and the two fishes. I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, but I wanted to give the background because we forget about how was how Christ feeling. He was still human. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was still human. So, so basically, how was his human side dealing with the loss of his dear friend? How was he dealing with it? Amen? So in, in that midst of these things, I understand what, what it's like. I remember uh, a few years ago at the loss of my grandson. 
The next thing I had to do was come back home and come to church and come, and come into a prayer meeting uh, on a Tuesday night after coming from the funeral. And I came here and I was, I was hurt. I was angry that Satan had stole my grandson who was in college to learn to be a preacher. He's 21 years old. It was a heart affliction. He, he died in his sleep. And I was angry. I was not angry at God. I was angry at Satan. Because people around me at the time were saying, well, God took him. He, he was a good worshiper, and God just needed more worshipers in heaven. I said, baloney. I said, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes but to still kill and destroy. Kill and destroy. I said, this boy was taken before his time. I said, he was killed, and his life was destroyed. I said, and I'm angry about that. And God says, what do you feel like doing? I said, I feel like strangling something. <laughs> He says, well, he said, I didn't make you to be a striker. He said, no, nobody's to blame for this thing. He said, but Satan himself. He said, how would you, do, how would you deal with this? How are you going to deal with your anger? How are you going to deal? Because, you know, they, the, 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 psycho, the psychological people will tell you that, you know, you, you go through different phases of grieving, and I know all that stuff, and I wasn't impressed. All I knew is I lost my grandson. He was the oldest grandson. And he was just a sweet, he was just a sweet guy. I just loved him dearly. And I was hurting. And the church rallied around. I remember I came in the door. I said, I said, I, I said, I, I, I'm angry of the loss. And this is what I was feeling personally. I said, but I only know one thing to do. I said, we're going to enter into worship. Praise God. Not for what happened. I said, you're going to pick the songs that I tell you to pick. I had my, my and my prayer team was right on, uh, praise team was right on, on the ball with it. And they got on the thing. I said, we're going to do warfare songs. We're going to sing out the glorious, how God is glorious and how the devil's a thief and a liar. Amen. And that's how I dealt with that. And that song team in, the, the ch in church is what got me through that thing. Later, I'd, ha I'd, have to, I'd have to do it for my dad. I'd have to do it for my daughter. And I'd have to do it for a lot of people. But that's how I respond. I'm, I said, God put me on this earth to preach his gospel. This is, the, this is the plan he has for my life. Whether anybody hears me or not is insignificant. It isn't about how many people or how successful you think you think you are in doing something. It only matters what God told you to do and you fulfill that, that order that he's told you to do. The purpose that he's got for your life, that's what matters. That's what matters. Nothing else matters. It only matters what God has put you on this planet to do. People die all the time never even knowing what the purpose of God was for their life. That's, that's the tragedy. Thank God my grandson did know what he was supposed to do. And he died in, go, in, in college in doing this thing. He was a big football player, and he had a scholarship. And he worked hard to get to where he was at, his college up in Chicago. And he was studying to be a, to be a minister. He wasn't quite sure what kind of minister. Was he going to be a preacher like his grandfather, or was he going to be a music minister? He loved music. Uh, so he was figuring all that out while he was in college. But he knew he had a direction of God. He knew he was called for a purpose. Amen. And I thank God these people are in heaven today. Uh, that, are, that, are, that are looking down as we are surrounded with a cloud of witnesses. So here's Jesus. So I can see, see how Jesus would feel, uh, has, could, could see what he felt when he heard about John. Last thing I wanted to do was minister to anybody. Last thing I wanted to do is pray for anybody. Well, God got me out of that. That pr praise and worship that night and that spiritual warfare got me out of that. I went back. Boy, I had a fiery message that Sunday. <laughs> no, I didn't take time uh, separate. No, I said, let's, I said, the best place for me to be is right in God's, God's hand, what he has me doing. I want to be found laboring for him. Yes, Amen. I want to be found by God laboring for him and preaching his message. That's where I want to be, and that's what got me through. Anyway, let, let me continue on with the, with the scripture. I said, but Jesus said unto them, uh, they, or, 
uh, or the, mul the multitude are there, the multitude are there, and the disciples, I'll catch you up on the story because I've interrupted, but the disciples are saying, go away, send them back home, they need something. This is what preachers like to do. Okay, uh, uh, we're done here, go on home. <laughs> okay, you, you work this out. Jesus said, no, he said, there's, but he's, in verse 16, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. They need not depart. I say, okay, let's okay, food. So we got a, we got physical people. We have we need physical food, and we're going to give it to their physical little mouths, right? Okay, now what we need is physical food because there's five thousand that count, and that only counts the men. That doesn't count the women and the children. So we could be more than five thousand. We could be over ten thousand people here at this gathering. But you know, it's always named to feed, feed the 5,000 because only the men were counted. I don't know why they did that, but anyway, that's, that's what it was. So they go around and they search, search around for food, and they find this little boy. Now, you won't find the little boy in Matthew, but you will find the little boy in John. Chapter 6 has the same, same uh, talks about uh, the same thing. But John mentions a little boy. Matthew doesn't write it here. Matthew puts it in here. He says, but we, we come up with the food. Here's, here's the food we have. They had something. Amen. They had something to present to the Lord. Interesting point. What do you have to give to God? What do you need, but what do you have to give to him to, to, to support that need? Hmm. Well, if I have a need, I probably don't have anything to give it. No, no, no. What do you have that's available to God to release to God? Because once you have something. Now, we see this in the Old Testament, too. Remember the prophet Elijah? Ask that widow, what do, what do you have? She says, oh, we got, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. But they're going to take my sons. We're in debt. And he says, no, no, what do you have? Well, I got a little bit of oil. We have something, don't we? And then God magnified it. Remember, get all the empty vessels you can. And they filled the vessel, filled the vessel, filled the vessel. And God began to multiply what she had. But she had to have the element. Same thing here. What do you have to feed them with? All we've got is we've got, uh, here we have five loaves and two fishes. Now, John clearly says this was a little boy's lunch. Now, you're probably thinking of a loaf, if you're an American like me, you're thinking, of, you go to a grocery store and you buy a loaf of bread. Wonder bread, whatever, you know, white bread, rye bread, but it's a loaf like this. How many know this big a loaf? Amen? But that's not what they're talking about. And it's all sliced. What would a little boy do with five of those loaves? My wife and I wouldn't go five, through five of those loaves in a week. <laughs> if we eat sandwiches every day, I mean, we're so, but no, the, the loaves he's talking about is a round about yay big and about as thick as your thumb. It had yeast in it, so it rose, but so it wasn't big enough to slice, but it was big enough to break. Amen? Important. It wasn't sliced, it was broken. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'll get to that in a minute. So basically, even the bread that they had, the five loaves, was the five little like pita bread or whatever, five little stacks there, and then two small. See, again, John brings out the size of the fish. Matthew doesn't. Well, we got two fish. John says, small fish. He emphasizes the small fish. But the fact is, so this is what we have. I got thinking about this. Okay, everybody knows this story. And, of course, you know, and Jesus made a miracle, didn't he? Jesus made it thing multiplied, didn't he? <laughs> That's what we want to think. Jesus made the miracle come on somebody else. This is the thing. He, held, he took the, two, the, the, the five loaves and the two fishes, and he thanked his father for this meager little thing. Look at all across the multitude. And he's got in one hand, he's got a picture in it. He's got five little 
pita breads, and the other hand's got two little small fishes. Now, freshwater fish caught out of the Sea of Galilee. You can go to Israel today, and they have a thing called St. Peter's fish. Now, nobody really knows what species they are. Uh, some think it's a type of tilapia, something like that. Anyway, I had some in Israel. I wasn't impressed. I live in Key West. We know what fresh fish is. We know what saltwater fish tastes like, and we like our fish here. And, and, but it, so I, I, when I ate the St. Peter's fish there, it wasn't, I wasn't there. But, but it represents something. So Jesus brings it up. He holds it up. He prays. Read the scripture. He prays. Then he gives it to his disciples. So who is creating the miracle? Jesus initiated the miracle through that. But as the disciples were breaking bread, something's happening. Wait a minute. It's not going anywhere. I still got a loaf here. I got I, I, I got a loaf too. We're still well. I got this basket full here, the distribute, and, and we're still got bread. And well, let's try the fish. We we'll put the fish, and then there's another fish, and another fish, and another fish. And by the time they fed the five thousand with the children, okay, and the wives and children, they had twelve baskets left over. That's a basket full for each one of the disciples. Isn't that isn't that a good story? Jesus created a miracle, but do we know what it means? If you look at Jesus' miracles, you will see a prophetic utterance in those miracles, and they, weren't even, they didn't even notice it. Let's look at the spiritual side, if I can break it down for just a minute without getting too preachy or, talky, or teachy here. But the fact is that they were lows. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 48, he said, I am that bread of life. In other words, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Well, there's, an issue, there, there's something else we've got to see here. How many loaves of bread were there? Five. Do you know that biblically the number five stands for grace? Can anybody tell me what kind of bread it was? Yeah, you learned that because in the war room I shared that. <laughs> no, but I, I asked this my leaders in the war room. I said, does anybody know what kind of bread that was that Jesus broke? No. I said, but it says, it doesn't say in Matthew, it says it in John. Barley. So what does that mean? Does anybody know what barley means? Was that a big deal? Is that an insignificant thing? No. Let me tell you something. If you, you have to understand, in the culture, barley was the cheapest of all products. Okay? This didn't represent Jesus' body, and for say, as a communion. This represented Jesus' body as a provision needed to sustain life. But the barley talks about the little boy who gave it. Why is barley? Barley being the cheapest grain signifies this boy was poor. Because if he wasn't poor, if he had a good means, he wouldn't be eating barley bread, he'd be eating wheat bread. Because the two crops that grew in that time were barley and wheat. So this little boy gave up more than you think he gave up for the glory of God. Listen to me. This little boy gave up more than you think he gave up for the glory of God. Because being that he had a barley loaf, that means his family probably didn't have a whole lot to, to, to eat or have a whole lot of resources and money. So he gave him, so the barley loaf came up. Isn't it, it's amazing how you go through all four Gospels, you can pick up details, and that's a detail. Guess what? When he got done, he had, a, he had bigger than a lunch. And, and listen, from the wilderness, from wilderness where there is nothing, Jesus took whatever was available and he expanded it. I look at where we live in Key West as a spiritual wilderness. It is. But God can take that, whatever we are offering to give him, however small or insignificant that seems, he can take and make a, a multitude of things out of it. Yes, sir. 
But you got to give it up. See, if the boy, the boy had to give up his lunch, the boy had to give it up. He had to release it. He had to turn it loose. All of it. All of it. He couldn't keep one behind. He gave all of it. But because he was poor and gave all of what he had, Jesus said, I'm going to give you all what I got. <clears throat> well, you see, I'm the bread of life. I can cause this miracle to happen. <clears throat> well, that's better preaching I'm getting response to this morning. <clears throat> Amen? Too wordy? I mean, too much information at one time? Or the fact is that we should know this, these things. So I understand. I understand that Jesus is the bread of life, but what about the fish? What does the fish represent? Hmm. Matter of fact, if you go back in order to Christianity, you'll find out that there was a symbol of a fish that was for the underground Christian church at that time, and that symbolized what the church was. It was a symbol of the fish. Hmm. I don't see anything holy in the scriptures about fish. I, I don't see where God supplied fish in the wilderness for the, for the Israelites. Doves? Yeah. Okay, or quail, I should say. Quail? Yeah. And, 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 and manna? Yeah. But no fish. Where's the fish in it? So I started looking at these things, and here's amazing. How did Jesus meet his first disciples? What were they doing? They were fishing. That was their business. Basically, and of course, there's, so there's two. Why two? There's got to be a significance to number two. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so why, why is it? There's a significance. Numbers in the Bible have a significance. The symbolism has a significance. This isn't just a miracle to take, meet a need. A lot of times we look at Christ as just a miracle to give us what we need, give us what we need, and we miss the revelation truth that he wants to sustain us for the rest of our life. It's not about getting another free meal. Amen? Let me tell you something. What, what, if you, what would you give for a peaceful marriage in your, in, in your household right now? And what if Jesus came in and was able to fix one argument for you? Usually that's where bad marriages started with an argument, right? Come on. I said, I said come on. And it usually, it usually winds up in strife, correct? I mean, I, I know when, when my wife and I have a disagreement, I mean, it, sometimes it turns into intense moments of fellowship. <laughs> Amen. But then what happens? We quickly resolve it because that's what life is about, resolving it. doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. It matters what we can agree upon so we can get agreement back in the household so we can move on. Am I helping anybody this morning? So, but we're satisfied with ending the argument, but we're not satisfied with solving the problem because that's long-term. We want the short-term fix because it's making us feel bad right now. But Jesus wasn't in for the short-term fix. He was in for the long-term duration. And this is what he was pointing out. Understand something. So he took the bread, which he can symbolize himself as a bread of life. So he multiplied the bread because that's what he is. He multi multiplies across the earth. I mean, you know, it, right now he covers the earth. His spirit does anyway. And so he has the bread. So the bread is a symbol of life. It sustains life. But what about the fish again? And the fact there's only two of them. Well, here, how many ready for the? How, how, many, want, how many want to know the meaning of the fish? Yeah. Okay, come back next week. Tune in next week. No, no, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, the fish. When Jesus met Peter, what was he doing? Fishing, or he's in fishing business. He's a fisherman. When they fished all night and they caught nothing, Jesus yells from the shore. He says, well, children, do you have any meat? He says, no, we have none. We fished all night and there was nothing behind. He says, lower your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter said, arguing, just did it. And they brought a draft that was breaking the nets of 153 fish, it was what, what it was 
stated in the scriptures. So they went from zero all night long in their effort to Jesus saying one thing to change their focus and to change, just readjust their life or their, 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 uh, their process just a little bit to prosperity. You mean to tell me your prosperity could be from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat? Wow. Oh, I can't see that. I'm, I, I can't see that. And it's exactly why you don't have that, because you can't see it. But it could be just a small adjustment. We're looking for this big ma magnitude adjustment. So what is it? Let me get back to the fish. What does a fish mean? The fish mean is a product of our labor. It was a production of what we produce. Why two? Two is a number in the Bible of division. There's two testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. Amen? There's, a, there's two kingdoms. There's Satan's kingdom and there's God's kingdom. There's two. The, the division causes us to make a choice, doesn't it? Uh, I can fish on this side of the boat or I can go over what Jesus said on this side of the boat and make all the difference in success from failure. So it's a decision made. You see what God is doing through this miracle? He's unfolding his principles. It's this little boy, he just had a lunch all to him. It's just a lunch. But Jesus looks at this and this is more than lunch. This is a scriptural. This, 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 this is something I can use. Let me show you what it means. I am the bread of life. That's a symbolism here. Watch what happens. I'm going to take my life. Listen to me. Real close. Don't miss it. I'm going to take my life, which is the bread, and I'm going to give it to my disciples, my followers. I'm going to give me to the followers. Go ahead, fellas, start right now. And they're breaking, 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 breaking. They're sharing, 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 sharing. And it just keeps coming more. And they're sharing, 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 and sharing, sharing, sharing. And they're making more and making more and making more. And it fills up more and more and more and more. The more they give out, the more it comes back in the baskets. The more it comes back in the baskets, the more they give out, the more they give out, the more it comes. You got the picture. Now, we come to our production, the thing that represents our livelihood, the thing that represents our production. This is, how, this is how our faith, when it gets revived, this is how it works. Okay, now we got the fish. God says, I'm going to take what's in your hand. I'm going to take what you're able to do. I'm going to take your business. I'm going to take, and I'm going to show you what I can do with it. When I bring it up to God and thank God for it, he's showing us what we're supposed to do. Thank God for it in Jesus' name. Now be about that business. Now we're not looking at two fish. This is the vision part comes in. We're not looking at five loaves. This is where the vision part comes in. We're looking at what God has presented before us and what he's about to do is a miracle behind that thing because we can see something else. We can see the multitude being fed. We can see them what, the, what they're eating. And we can see the provisions that we have are meager. They're small. But when God takes a hold of it, he's going to magnify it. Now we can see them passing out, passing out. Now we're passing out. Now we have abundance. But we can't stop passing it out. No more than we can stop pouring oil in those vessels. Because when they ran out of vessels, remember the widow woman. When they ran out of vessels, the oil stopped. And here's what's blocking up the body of Christ. It's like a spiritual constipation, excuse my expressions, but we're blocked up and nothing can come through because we stopped giving out the thing that Christ called us to give out. Come on, church, I'm talking to the church this morning. Amen. We get lazy. Well, I, I didn't feel like going to church. I, I, you know, pastor, I had to work. You missed out the prosperity of God because you had to work. Is there some stupidity in that that you didn't see or something? Is there something I'm not seeing in that? Hello. It's not like they're going to fire you in this town unless you deserve firing. 
Because right now I know every business person in Key West is trying to hire. If you show up breathing, you got a job in this town. You're laughing because you know it's true. You don't have to be good at what you do. Just breathe. I'm alive. And I'll take your temperature and say, put on a mask, go to work. We need people. So what, what excuse are you coming up with? And what the fact is that you've got to come up with an excuse. Maybe it's the truth that you don't want to see what God has, has to say for you. Because if you'll give out the fish that I have given you, and you give it out, there's more where that came from. But if you don't give it out, you're going to be stuck with two small fish. And that's not even going to be your lunch. That's good for today. What are you going to do tomorrow? I mean, some of St. Peter fish about this big. Two of them little things, and they're mostly bone. By the time you get flays, you get little flays like the potato chips. Get four of them flays. Well, man, that didn't even make lunch. Well, that's what the five, okay, down the five loaves of pita bread. Okay, that's it. Now that's going. What happens? You just ate your seed. We don't realize it, but God has put in this church. Do you know how many people over 30 years I have prayed for to, for their businesses to expand? And it has done it almost every time. Then you know what I get then? Well, I like to come to church, Pastor, but I'm too busy. My business is just taking off. I'm too busy. I'm working. Well, there you go. Enjoy, because it's only for a season. When you cut out God, it's only for a season. Are you here? So you believe God because when you had a need. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Amen? No. Whatever those disciples, this is what I believe, whatever those disciples stopped breaking bread, the flow stopped. Whatever they stopped or gave up on the fish, all this thing, I, I give up. This ain't going to be enough. I just, just forget it. It's not enough. I'm, I'm just going home myself. I'm, gonna, I'm going down to Publix right now. I'm going to buy my own groceries. This ain't working. When that happens, the flow stops and the miracles stop. What happened? Because your faith is in remission. When your faith becomes in remission, the flow stops and the miracle of God is no longer there. Now your self-prophesying prophecy can come to pass. Well, I knew this wasn't going to work. This stuff ain't no good. And now you're right. It isn't working. Now you're right. you got a self-fulfilled prophecy. That's what, you, that's what you spoke. That's what you believe. And that is exactly what's happening. But it ain't God's fault when he has given us the abundance. Because that self-fulfilling prophecy doesn't come by Scripture. It comes by your head. I was going to say something else, but I'm being kind this morning. Amen. <laughs> And don't look at me as I'm condemning anybody because God is talking to me about the same things. you got to understand, I built a church out of nothing. I had nothing. So God said, what you got? I got less than five loaves and two fishes. <laughs> Matter of fact, I had to borrow money to get in this town. I'm broke. He said, well, you ain't had your first meeting yet. I said, no, sir, I haven't. I said, but I trust you to believe it. The first meeting I ever had in Key West, Florida, and the first offering I ever took caught me up. And paid everything I was behind. Everything. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Amen? But I could believe it. It was there. I said, for God, I said, I'll never doubt you again. I'll never doubt you again. And when we built the Lighthouse Christian Academy and all this, I said, oh, my. I go, here, comes, here comes the impossible demon again. It's impossible. It's impossible. People would tell me on the street that this will never work. This building, we've been in this building for the last 20 years. The Lighthouse Christian Academy has been in, in existence for the last 20 years. Aren't you glad their prophecies didn't come to pass? Amen. Understand something. When you're serving God, you're going to have to put down a lot of negative prophecies. Yeah. All prophesying, you're doomed. 
But how many families, how many kids, I don't have the numbers, Jennifer, all the numbers, how many kids that we may have changed in their life because of this Christian daycare center? We put out there, I don't make any, I don't pull any punches, Lighthouse Christian Academy. That's what it is. And how many families did we help over the last 20 years of those things that God just started as a seed? I don't know how I'm going to get to this thing. I promise, I asked God, I said, God, I said, I've got to borrow money to build this thing. I said, because of the time and what has to go forward. I said, and, and no banks wouldn't lend us any money. He said, I'll make a way where it doesn't seem to be any way. We got the money. I said, Lord, I said, can I believe you to pay off the loan in two years? Perfectly debt free, because I, I like to run a ministry debt free. This is a ministry debt free. I like to run that way. It doesn't, because the Bible says you're a slave to the lender. It doesn't say nothing wrong with borrowing, but it says you understand you're a slave to the lender. And I went, nobody's going to have the hooks in my ministry. That's what God has given me to do. I'm going to be free to serve God. Not have to be political about it. Praise the Lord. Amen. So that's what we've done. Well, it took a little more than two years. It took about four years because of my, uh, my own doubt and unbelief. But God got us out of, out of debt. In four years, I paid off every, every loan, everything that everyone has involved in, and we were free. Are you here this morning? This is what God will do. Praise the Lord. He said, I am the bread of life, John chapter 6, 48. Amen. Understand about bread sustains life. Without Jesus, we don't have to stand. I, I like this. I just, I'm going to just throw this in here. Can I just throw something else in here? Uh, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. I like the gospel of John. He just says it differently than, some, than the other ones do. But I just like John. He said, but he says, that Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If he's the way, that that means we can't get lost. If he's, if, if he's the truth, the devil can't lie to us. Amen. And if he's the life, the devil can't kill us. Amen. I like that. Praise the Lord. I just wrote that down in my notes. How many know that the enemy comes in like a flood and the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard to, against him? I looked up that word standard. And the stand, what it means, it means to put to flight. So when the devil comes against you, God will raise up a standard or he'll put him to flight. Amen. Can I say this? He puts him to flight in the other direction. Amen? The other direction, not in the direction that he needs you to go. So how many know, I can sit here all afternoon and talk about the benefits of serving the kingdom of God and, 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 and all these other things. Yes, and talk about the prosperity of God. Are you kidding me? The scriptures of how God, uh, God's provision for us. Uh, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, he said, There shall be no poor among you. You are the Lord, for you greatly he has, the Lord shall greatly bless thee. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, having all sufficiency in all things, uh, we may have the abundance of every good work. How about Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19? If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. For De Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 11, NIV version, it says, in, uh, he said, may the Lord your God of your ancestors increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 10, verse 19 uh, he says, he says, feast made for laughter, wine made for merry, but money answers all things. That's in the Bible. Did you know that? Money answers all things. It also can ultimately corrupt all things if it's not handled right, but handled right, it can answer all things. Ecclesiastes uh, 2, uh, verse 26, it said, God may give wisdom and knowledge and joy to his favorites. I'm his favorite. How many would be his favorite? He'll give, wisdom, he'll give wisdom and knowledge and joy to his favorites. Understand something about your joy? Fight for it. Because without your joy, you've got no strength. Fight for it. Amen? He said, but to the sinners, ah, it doesn't stop there, but to the sinners are a sign of life of hard labor and end up, turn, and end up turning their wages over to God's favorites, nothing but smoke 
and spitting in the wind. That's the, the message Bible puts it that way. Ecclesiastes, the word Ecclesiastes means preacher, by the way. Amen? Of course, Psalms 84, 11, he said, I like this. No good thing will he withhold from you who walk uprightly in him. Oh, there's a condition, walking uprightly. Amen. Amen? How many would like to prove their walk in uprightness with Christ? Amen. Oh, I think so. After reading this, I think I want to, do, I want to improve mine too. Praise the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says, he says, and he shall remember, the, and you shall remember the Lord. Here's a remembrance part. This is, the, this is what you get every, every offering time. If I can mention offering without being booed. Okay, every offering time, amen. He should remember, we are remembering the Lord, and it's he that gives us power to get wealth to establish his covenant. Amen, so there's a power to establish his covenant. We better be using the things that he gives us rightly. Are we learning anything this morning? Praise the Lord. Uh, I like this in Psalms 115 and verse 16. It says, the, the earth he has given to the children of men. The, in other words, the whole verse says, the, Lord, the heaven belongs to God, but he's given us the earth. Understand something. Your inheritance is the earth, and your abundance is in the earth. With God's help and his supernatural ability, you can pull out of the earth what you need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mm. Praise the Lord. One more. Psalms 112, verse 5 through 8. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs, talking about God, will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken, and the righteous will be, will be in everlasting remembrance. And verse 7 says he will not uh, be afraid of the evil tidings. He will not be afraid of the evil tidings. He gets rid of the fear. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, and his heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. God is going to take care of your enemies this morning. He's going to take care of your enemies for you. Don't worry about it, but we need to serve God. We need to get a better understanding, understanding that Jesus is the bread of life, not just the life that we need to sustain this body, but the life that we need to sustain the spirit in this body. Are you here this morning? Praise the Lord. This is, so, so this, this is what, what, we, what, we, um, what we have to understand. This is what we have to, uh, to, to, to realize what God has done for us Amen? Amen? I put this in my notes. I want to close with this. I understand it. God made this realization to me about a week ago, and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but in a good way, kind of, but it, it, it bears our responsibility here as Covenant Word Church and, the, and where God has placed us. But how many know the ministry is bigger than any individual? In other words, what God has given us to do in Key West and what he's put is bigger than your, than your little problem Amen. or my little problem for that matter. And the scripture that is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, King James Version again. It says, but as we, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which, which trieth our hearts. In other words, we don't speak according to what men want to hear. We speak about what, according to what, men wants, what God wants to say. But he said, this is bigger than us. We have been allowed of God. We've been put in trust with the gospel. We've been trusted with the gospel. We're entrusted not to just preach it. We're entrusted to live it. This is the day. This is the hour of darkness. This is the time where God, like a piercing light, will get a hold of it. Now, let me ask you about your vision before I close this out. Can you start seeing it now? Here's what Satan does. He afflicts you, and he keeps you so wrapped up in your own personal needs, you can't see nothing else. And nothing else begins to matter but your personal needs. If this little boy had taken that, those people would have been sent away and those people would have missed out on a miracle. If that little boy took the attitude of a lot of people who go to church today, 
they, that, that miracle wouldn't have happened because the loaves and fishes wouldn't have been released. Hey, I only got enough for me. I mean, this is, these are small. I mean, they're only small fish. I'm sorry. I was prepared. I brought my lunch. You should have done the same. If he had taken that attitude, which is the attitude of the church today, by the way, some churches, okay, the fact is, is that miracle wouldn't have happened. Maybe this is why some of the miracles aren't happening in churches. Maybe this is why people come to church on Sunday and they go home on, uh, uh, after church and everything falls in line just, to, just the way it was during the week before. All the disasters are still happening. All the, all the problems are still in the marriage. All the problems are still in the household after they come to church. Maybe because God is getting you to release the little bit you have so he can make more of it. God wasn't asking for an offering for that little boy to starve that little boy, but to give him a basket to take home to feed a family. God wasn't looking at just taking a little boy's lunch away from him and passing it. And do you know that that little boy wasn't even in the count? He wasn't even counted. It says 5,000 men. He was a lad. He was a boy, a little boy. He wasn't even in the count. Jesus got the blessing from that, or got that morsel from that little boy that changed the lives of all the ones in the count from somebody who wasn't even counted. Are you hear about that? That's that, amazing to me. But they only counted the men. Praise the Lord. Amen? How many got something out of the word this morning? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I got more, but I got to stop. Amen? I pray this morning that this message will at least waken some things in your spirit. How many know when a preacher preaches, he doesn't preach on his own authority or his own anointing. God gives him the anointing. Anybody can stand up in front of anybody and say words. So preaching isn't about putting words together and saying words, but it is about preaching the message that God wants taught to his church for that particular time. This message is for this particular time. Amen? The thing is, is we're good at modifying behavior. Well, some of us are. Some of us don't even good at modifying their behavior. But there's a big difference between behavior modification and true changing a life. Amen. Behavior modification is not going to change one thing in your life. Amen. Not one thing. It's going to make you look good on the outside like you're doing, which is supposed to, but it's not going to change nothing on the inside. Amen? I, I, I was in a church, I think, about five or six years. I was just newly saved. But I was in a church that didn't take me to the next step. And basically, I didn't know at the time what was going on, but all of a sudden, I, I, I just didn't want to go. I wouldn't do nothing. And what happened was, I had filled up all that they had to offer. And basically, I didn't do nothing because I didn't have the opportunity because that church, you didn't, we weren't minister, you weren't a minister unless you went through seminary. And I was already, uh, I had a wife and two kids and I was working, I couldn't go to seminary. So until you went to seminary, you couldn't do your next unless you went to their seminary. So basically, you stood there and you attended church and you listened to sermon, to sermon, to sermon, to sermon, and it was all salvation. You can only go to the altar so many times before you say, hey, one of these times has got to take. You can only do so many So basically, I became very discontented and became very angry, okay, not about God, but about how his children were. I said, they come and they preach this and they do something different. They preach all the goodness of Christ and then they lie behind your back and their whole life becomes a lie behind your back. I got very discontented and God says, well, I'm going to take you to your next. I didn't understand what that meant until I got working with another guy and he taught me about, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It changed my entire life. And that is where, when I finally got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and my spirit got a language. When my spirit got a language, God poured directly into my spirit. 
And that's what changed my life. And I didn't even know I had a call or a purpose until that happened. That's my testimony, but as some of you know it, may not know it. But it made all the difference. Why did Jesus tell the disciples to go to Jerusalem and tarry for the, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because he knew if they didn't tarry, they were going to go so far, and that's as far as they're going to go. So if you feel like you're stalemated in your, in your life, and you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, use it. If you don't, get it. There's no reason you should ha shouldn't have it because it's been poured out already. He's not going to pour it out again. All you have to do is receive what's out there. He's not going to go to the cross again so you can get saved. He's not going to go. Pentecost ain't going to happen again so you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to take what's already out there. But it made all the difference in the world. I'm talking to somebody this morning because this wasn't part of my notes. My notes have been closed. This, I'm talking to somebody this morning. Praise the Lord. It made all the difference. Okay, this happened in September 1981 uh, in my house in Argentine, Michigan. And by that same month, by, by, time, by February of the next year, I was already in Florida. God had another, had another point for me. And I was sitting under a man's ministry for a number of years uh, before I went out. And he, that is where I found out I had a gift and calling. That is where I learned to be a preacher. And that's where he sent me out from, from there. And then after, after that, God spoke to me about becoming, uh, uh, you know, coming to Key West and being an independent church and so on and so forth. And I began to establish that. Amen. Never against the pastor. We don't know the church splits and stuff like that. Uh, I figure splits are for bananas. <laughs> Not churches. Amen. You all the bananas splits you want. Don't split no church. But, but the fact is, and so God has called me to that thing. It was a baptism of the Holy Spirit where I found it. What happened? See, before that, your spirit, before that, the only thing they knew about, man knew about, was you had a soul and you had a body. But then Paul brings out that we are whole body, soul, and spirit. He brought a third part there. Where the guy all of a sudden gives us a third part? It was there all along. What was the difference? The only thing I see the difference is, is the day of Pentecost happened. And now your spirit had a language. And that defined your spirit as an entity, a communication part toward, toward directly to God. Well, how do I know that? It says, but Paul says, well, I, I thank my God more than all I speak in tongues. He said, but when I speak in an unknown tongue, he says, my mind is unfruitful. That's the soulish part of you does not interpret, or does not, it's God speaking, and the interpretation from that has to come from God. Isn't it amazing, Jude 20 says, build yourself up most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Can you say, think we need faith today? Is faith one of the things I've been preaching on for the last four weeks or so? But do you think we need faith today? Why does the church need faith? Because we let some things slip and some things ice over. Amen. But pray in the Holy Ghost, you get them back. Amen. Building yourself with most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit, Jude 20. Beautiful scripture. Praise the Lord. Absolute power. But it's our spirit talking to God. Paul then could see the definition between the body, the soul, which is the mind, intellect, your personality is all in your soul. And then, of course, your, 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 your or it's the soul. I'm going to say personality. Personality would be taught to. Modif behavior modification is different from com coming out of your spirit. When God speaks to me, it doesn't come out of my soulish realm. It doesn't come out of my body realm. It comes out of my spirit realm. But the spirit talks to the mind. Well, I just threw that little extra teaching. There's no extra charge. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many got something out of the word this morning? Let's stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. Amen.